welcome. I'm Jillian Raymond, the co-creator of Juicy Bits and a Coalition Snow ambassador. And I'm Jen Gorecki, your co-host and the CEO of Coalition Snow. For those of you who are with us in season two, we are glad you're back. For those of you who are new, get ready to laugh, cry, and maybe pee your pants a little. Juicy Bits is about taking the conversations that we start on the chairlift and at the trailhead and bringing them to you to explore alternative narratives that challenge the status quo about what it means to be a modern woman in the outdoors. Grab your helmet because sometimes it's a bumpy ride. FYI, friends, this podcast is for mature audiences, so you've been warned. Let's get to work and juice the patriarchy. Um, what is it from the, I think it's the feminist collective that I, that I love, um, hydrate, masturbate, meditate. To think about it. That's really it's really wild. So fucking wild. As we're talking about it right now, I almost feel like we're, I'm outside of myself listening to us being what like, what are they talking about? What did they just live through? What did, what just happened? And that sense of two years in a blip. Only because I like to think I haven't like aged a day. I will say that this filter on the Zencaster is really it. It does nice things for me. Um, the filter is good, but let's be honest. I've fucking aged. <laughs> Anyone who's like, I have a like there are there are lines on my forehead. There are stress marks on my forehead that my will never. I can't even pull them apart, and I can't even pull them. Like they're never going, and that is from like ye- two years of like stress. Like you know when you like furrow your brow and you're like, Ugh. I think that a lot of people are still suffering. I mean, just so to give everyone context, we're filming this. We're not filming. We're recording this on March 29th. It was just two nights ago that Will Smith slapped Chris Rock mm-hmm. at the Oscars. Yeah, we're not okay. Yeah. We're I, not okay. Like, but to me, like anything that wants to be said about that, we're not. And this is something that when we were like debriefing it um, in our, co- like we were just chatting about it at, in our team meeting at Coalition. That's what Sarah, our operations manager says. She's like, we're not okay. And I was like, yeah, yeah that's what explains all this. We're all still fucked up. Everyone's fucked up. Like we're actually not. Okay, but we're but we live in a society that's telling us everything's okay. Carry yeah. on, no more masks, travel, go out, do all these things. And so, like, it's like it is like you said, this out-of-body experience where you're like doing all these things like you used to do, except for you're looking down on yourself, being like, What the fuck are you doing? You weren't doing this two months ago. Now mm-hmm. you're doing like I am, I am not the type of person who wants to hear all sides. I don't need, I'm not trying to seek to understand. I, I, I do believe I understand where mm-hmm. anti-vaxxers and anti-mask people are, are, are coming from. I have listened to you. Mm-hmm. I have heard the things that you've said mm-hmm. and I don't fucking care. Mm-hmm. It's not, it, it doesn't, there, there's no, like beyond your personal self-interest, mm. those beliefs don't actually do anything for communities who we should care about. And for for any white woman, if you believe that you are helping women or you want to help or a feminist, a feminist or anything, if, if you want to talk about women, you absolutely have to apply this intersectional approach. Now, I know I'm saying this and many of our listeners are like, yeah, no shit, intersection. Mm-hmm. Like, but you would be surprised or maybe you wouldn't be surprised 
how to this day, I'm still having conversations with other white women around this is what intersectional feminism means Mm -hmm. and the things that you're doing you know, perhaps you should Google white feminism Mm -hmm. and then let's have a conversation around uh, what specifically you could do to learn more and do better and resolve some of this toxic behavior. And it's, it's surprising to me that I'm still having these conversations with people who I at least think follow me on Instagram and Mm -hmm. hear all the shit that comes out. I don't even know, but it is, um, it's been a wild couple of weeks with the number of, of women who I've had to have these conversations with and how COVID and masks and vaccines just really elucidate um, the toxicity in all of it. Do you think there's a separation and understanding of how white feminism and the privilege that that can evoke and the, and the choice to not mask, not vaccine for this we and us, I'm using my air quotes, To me, I feel like that's a direct, like, illumination of the fact that how white women have largely benefited from, like, systems of oppression and the larger patriarchy because the sense of them being able to have that choice in their protected bubble, um, because they'll still have access to all the things that they need if they were to get sick or they have access, um, you know, social distancing is kind of a privilege or just the fact that they can walk and do whatever the fuck they want and they're like, no one's going to say anything to me. Is someone going to say, because the amount of people I've seen where I want to be like, are they not wearing a mask because they're vaccinated or not wearing a mask because they're not vaccinated and they're um, against vaccines? Do do I want to be near them? They're not following like what's in the kind of the social fabric right now, which is distancing and mask wearing and increased mandates and and governments um, shutting down and new restrictions and lockdowns all because we can't end this pandemic. But I'm like, you white women that are doing that, you kind of just get to exist and walk in this like lane of entitlement and privilege. And I think it's really uncomfortable, but I'm like, if you're not willing to see that, then I just feel like you're further benefiting from the status quo. When we started this process, um, there's this scholarship to the coalition scholarship, but I was also helping Connor Ryan with the icon pass natives outdoors scholarship. Um, And so I came into both of these application committees feeling so emotional because I, at at the end of it, had read over, call it 200 applications from different Indigenous people um, applying. And so the thing that made it the most emotional to me was this reminder that it, of the barriers associated with skiing, associated with backcountry skiing and associated with all of these activities occurring on stolen land and occurring within this illegal occupation that is the United States of America. Um, And so reading over so many people like me that I didn't think existed and only had just had a taste of of that existence through meeting Denali, Connor, McKaylee, and Cal, um, and those being the first first, uh, indigenous skiers I had ever skied with other than my dad and my brother. Um, that's what made the process the most emotional to me is that skiing for me was how I most connected with my indigeneity being, um, removed from my traditional homelands. Um, it's how I most connected with the place that I live, developing my relationships here and putting my time to the relatives and to the land that I now live on. And knowing that that is only something that I could do because I was really fortunate that skiing was something my family wanted to do and it was like the only activity that we did as a family so we put a lot of time and effort into that and we had the privilege to do it 
Um, and the only reason I got pulled into the backcountry was because I was in college and I lived with a woman who's from Colorado whose family is really wealthy. And so they took me backcountry skiing one time and I fell in love with it then. And 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 all the sacrifices it took to get all of my own first gear for backcountry skiing, which was all secondhand. And to know that there were 200 other people like that who either wanted to start skiing or already were skiing or wanted to venture into backcountry or wanted to become guides. And that to all of us, while many of us could have made it happen without a scholarship like this, the fact that so many of us need something like this or deserve something like this, or frankly, all of us should have access no matter what our backgrounds are, because this is stolen land and we're all indigenous. And so we're the first nations. Hello. Um, uh, that's what made it most emotional for me. I'm in education and um, part of how I took this job and I'm helping with the implementation of tribal history, shared history in a large district um, in Oregon, which is so cool. And part of how I took this job is I had a native student and I was teaching um, a curriculum that I thought was good. And they were like, no, it's not. Like then I met with this native parent who's just this like badass woman. Um, and she's like, dude, and like taught me a lot of things that I didn't realize and had to unpack. And I remember I was so excited to try this new job. It's what drove me to this new job to leave the classroom for the first time. And I remember I was like, okay, I need to apply for the scholarship. Like I really want to do this. And I was going over a training with someone. I can't say too many details. And basically a comment came out and with my other friend who's native, um, the one, you know, um, Geneva. And the, basically the person said, you're never getting your land back anyway. So why are we talking about this? And I mean, you've met the other woman, this, this, uh, I don't want to say her name because I didn't get her permission. We left immediately and went to a coffee shop and we were like, that's not okay. Like I'm not okay. And we took the rest of the day off and I called in sick the next day and I was like, you know what I'm going to do? Like I'm frustrated. And I'm angry. I'm going to spend the whole day. I took a mental health day. I guess this is going to be on. Like I took a mental health day, which we're allowed to take. And I wrote for the scholarship. And I think that for me was like the inspiration is like, okay, so I got told this and like how my sign falls down like how how can I take that negative energy that I felt and move forward and I think for me that's what land back is is like so many times I'm told it's not happening like that's the past get over it and so part of my job and I was so grateful for Geneva coming in and helping and she got to present to these teachers I was presenting to today is let's bring native people to the present and part of bringing native people to the present is talking about land back um, I love that because I feel like the first time that we all had our little video chat together, it was, um, I was like, I would like land acknowledgements. And you guys are like, actually, it's land back. And I was like, that makes sense. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I thought about that. And I think the language is so different from US and Canada. Like, we're not really, it's not PC to say tribes. Um, we call them, we call it bands. I don't, I can't tell you why. But through my artwork, as well as my skiing, I'm trying to learn the original mountain names of the Canadian Rockies up here because it's all named after settlers who came here. And I'm cur I was actually asked to do a project about Mary Schaefer, who's one of the early explorers of, um, hand quotes, air quotes, um, early explorers of the Canadian Rockies. And I needed a little more information about her before I said yes. And she was the she's most the reason of like what she named everything in Jasper. It felt like she named all the mountains after her friends or like what she thought 
she and I want to stop seeing these early explorers and I'm sure you all have them in the US as well as like pioneers because they're colonizers and we should give our land back to the indigenous people of where I am with the Canadian Rockies or wherever where everyone is like give back Turtle Island what really resonates with me is that like indigenous joy is such a radical movement. Like we, anytime we are finding, we are making space on the land and we are finding joy on the land that that is land backed to me. That is how we can reclaim that space because we are finding joy when so many colonizers have tried so hard to take that away from us. And so anytime that we have our indigenous joy, that is land back. I say yes, a thousand times yes to everything that has already been said. I agree with absolutely everything. And the only thing I really have to add is land back also is literally land back. Like literally giving back decision-making like authority to tribes, to First Nations, to indigenous peoples. Yeah. So I'll tell you a story. I was working, I was working (laughs) at my uh, part-time job where I sell stretchy pants. You can guess where that is. And this, my dad's friend, guiding friend, whatever came in and he was just like, oh, like chatting to me. He's like, do you still climb? And I was like, no. And he's like, yeah, well, that makes sense. You're big boned. (laughs) And I was just like, sir please (laughs) and then that really but that's that's definitely like what turns me off from snow sports is because I just see a lot in like social media and mainstream media of like skinny people climbing or like I'm not good enough and growing up here I never thought I was good enough to ski because it was just kind of like all the mean kids that skied and I was really intimidated to join a freestyle skiing club and now that I'm older I'm teaching freestyle skiing And I never thought I would be able to do that because I never saw myself with these groups of people. And that goes with indigenous sports too. I I think that with spirit of the peaks, a friend who's working on a film was like, Oh, it's already been done. We can't do this indigenous ski movie anymore. I'm like, does a cis white guy say, (laughs) look at a another cis white guy do a backflip. and was like, I can't do it. It's been done. No, they keep doing it. The content keeps filtering out. We just need more indigenous representation in the ski industry and mainstream media with film festivals. And yeah. And of course, like this cohort has been talking about doing something like that or like getting together and like, that'd be great. And it's kind of funny with the scholarship. I thought I was just getting some gear and some money, but I'm getting like a rag group of friends to ski with well i just want to jump in this is jen i want to say something Catherine, you brought something up that i think is really important that we need to discuss the ski industry is an industry the industry exists to make money and it is fueled by capitalism and so the whole point like let's not confuse ourselves like sure there's certainly um individuals who want true connection with the land and true connection with one another but the industry wants to make a shit ton of fucking money And they historically have thought that the only people they can make money off of are cis white men, cis straight white, white, white men. The rest of us have just been, you know, those things on the side that make like they've never thought about anyone else. And that speaks volumes to the amount of of whether it's like 
over racism and, and sexism and ableism or whether it's bias, but part of the reason why there hasn't been a more robust and diverse representation in skiing is because people are a hundred percent just trying to fucking sell shit and they think they know who to sell things to. And that for me, like part of the power of, of this group, both like through the scholarship, but also what you all are doing as individuals is to kind of show them actually fuck you. I got mine and I'm fucking here and we're going to do this. Right. Like to, to, to ignore all of us and all of you because you don't fit into essentially, you know, they don't think you're going to bankroll this industry. But that for me, like I have a big passion around changing that, but like this, well, number one, we should append capitalism. Right. But also like number two, don't always look to them to think that they're the only ones who are going to drive the industry. Look at alternative forms of capital. It's not just financial capital that, that runs this world. And we have a lot of power, whether it's social capital or environmental capital or human capital, where we can actually step in and change all of that. I'm, I'm curious, Liz, if um, in, in any of these videos that you were editing, if you had any aha moments, those those times where somebody says something where you're like, oh, fuck, I've never thought about that. Did it? Can, can you think of any of those? Uh, I'm, I, yes. Well, well, the clearest one is like something that I've I've been saying over and over again, but it's in Tanya's episode where she's talking about not fitting in ski pants and mm. and I don't I just want to say like there's there's all these like issues in the world and sometimes when you're self-conscious about your body you can be like this doesn't fucking matter because there's so many like giant issues um but in the end all like it it still matters and it's how you look at yourself and then that matters on how you approach everything in the world and she was talking about Tanya was talking about being in the dressing room and like crying because you couldn't get a pair of snow pants on and like that was it like what were you supposed to do after that like there wasn't a pair that would fit and um that's when we were talking she was also the first person I interviewed and I was like you know you were raised across the country from me. We are different cultures. We are blah, blah, blah. But like, this is an issue that all of us, like immediately I'm crying. Like, like, uh, and that's where like the sim similarity thing, the thing that I keep saying, like that came from her because uh, when it comes down to it, no matter where we are in the world, we've all had those feelings, like those feelings like mayhem where like we're out of control and like we need to be in charge of our lives and, and things like that. So, well, you um, you've said that um, our relationship with the outdoors is another advancement in civil rights, and I would love love to hear you talk more about that because I don't think that there's a lot of people who put those two together: civil rights and the outdoors. Um, and I would, but you clearly have decades of experience with those two two particular things. Can can you speak a little bit more to that? Yeah, and I would say not just a, a, a civil right. It's actually I, I view it as a human right. Human right. Mm -hmm. I view it as a as a human right where um, we have um, this connection with nature um, that and it doesn't have to be like in big national parks or big remote glamorous places. 
it can be in a city park. It can be mm -hmm. in your home garden. It can be nourishing plants at home. It can be um, taking a daily walk outside your neighborhood or in your area. Um, and when I see it in the form of a civil right, a human right, um, speaking again uh, with respect to in the United States, you know, there we've had a history of segregation in outdoor spaces, right? right? You can't deny that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then in addition to that, um, when you look at a lens of housing segregation and housing development, particularly post sixties, right? Um, you look at where the green spaces are and where the green spaces are not right. Air quality, water quality, right? Mm -hmm. Um, those are all civil rights. Those are all human rights access. Um, yeah. There, there's, there's a reason why public infrastructure is called civil infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's in our fabric of our society, and that includes green spaces. It includes our rivers and our oceans and our mountains in our city parks, you know, in our community gardens, um, and to be able to have that co deep connection with with nature. Um, and, you know, my mom had it and has it, you know, mm -hmm. deep love of, yeah. love of outdoors. If there was, if there was sort of a, a place where we could get to that would really create a more equitable, just world. Um, do you do you know what that might look like in terms of people using their voices? Yeah, great question, Jen. Uh, really thoughtful question. Um, and I, I I think about that actually often. Um, and and that is actually one of the reasons why you know, I, I do the Jedi trainings, right? So that mm -hmm. elevate the consciousness of my community as a whole so that we're living in a more just world. Um, yeah. And so there are degrees of things that individuals and systems can do. So if I, who identify as, you know, a, a woman and a person of color, woman of color, an immigrant, English is not my first language. Um, and I happen to be amongst people who have more privilege than me, right? Um, mm -hmm. One thing that those individuals can do is they can elevate my voice when I'm speaking mm -hmm. and say, you know, mm -hmm. I, 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 I see what you're saying. There's a lot of value to that. Um, so if there's agreement there, another thing is that, um, don't leave the burden of education on these subjects on me. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you yeah. belong to a series of identities that holds power, you should leverage that as a as a conscious being to educate others, right? Yeah. 
um, so that I'm not the individual who's taking the arrows of vile birds being directed at me, right? Um, please help share the burden. That That's yeah. huge. That's huge. And yeah. then to work on dismantling systems that create inequities, right? And that doesn't, that doesn't mean that you go around and destroy society's institutions, not at all. It's like, how do you work to recognize that some systems are set up so not everyone gets to participate? And what are you yeah. individually doing to break that apart? You know? Yeah. 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 About my life's work that may not be visible on first glance. Um, I think I have a lot of stories built in my life that lend to my life's work, particularly in the justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion realm. Like, for instance, I went to an all boys school very early on in my life. You know, when I took the Harvard implicit bias test you know, many years ago, I had implicit bias toward in gender. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, and, you know, and I talk about it very openly and very freely because, you know, I, even though I do this work, I'm not sitting on some high and mighty platform like, oh, I am an evolved being, you know, I do <laughs> right. have to scrub my teeth on a daily basis. And I, too, have to scrub my practices and my micro habits on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm also on a path of evolution and growth. Right. And so when that uh, gender bias was revealed to me, it was like, huh, I wonder where this comes from. And I did a lot of unpacking and looking back into how I arrived at a perspective that, you know, I found it like why do you see not enough women in math and sciences? You know, my background is in math and sciences. And I was like, there's, n there's no barriers to women in math and science. And I, and I think about how, I, yeah, exactly. Like, I, I was here. I was, you know, with my blinders on, right. And yeah. so I had to do a lot of unpacking related to that, <laughs> that side of my being. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate those moments, right? <laughs> where, where you have that self-reflection and, and you have, and you have to say to your, yourself, you got to work on this. Like, mm -hmm. this is something that you need, you need to understand why you think this way and you need to, to work on it. And that is, you know, like you said, that path of like, working like evolving you know it's not like there's not necessarily this end goal like you're going to get one place and then you're done it's just this constant um growth that is so i mean i find it's so critically important in the world that we live in like we live in this hyper connected world where information is passed so quickly now that being able to to be on that pathway of evolution is, is critical to our success and to our happiness, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Spot on, Jen. Spot on. Yeah. 
But Jen, the comments kind of had me in, in a little bit of a swirl. And I, I kind of think we, we need to talk about that today. Yeah, well, it's, you, you never know how people are going to respond to anything that you put out on Instagram. And we're, we're kind of known for putting out some provocative and edgy and sort of non-traditional snow sports content. But that's what we do. Like, that's our whole thing is to not be like everyone else and to show a completely different side of things, um, particularly when you think about like showing all the sides of women and, and all the different things that we might be um, thinking about or talking about or experiencing. And so, yeah, we had a, <laughs> we, we had a sponsored skier from another brand, a man, of course, decide that it was his place to be the um, content police and demand content that showcased women shredding harder he was very upset very upset um so time out is this a, is this a man that you um hired as your consultant um jen for your instagram content was he brought in as a as an independent contractor to consult on on women's ski brands that's a great I, question I that's a great question the answer would be no his input was unsolicited it was unsolicited advice no one actually asked him hey sponsored skier from other brand what do you think about our content but he you know offered it up like he knows all the things about the appropriate way to showcase women skiing that was his that was his his whole thing so yeah that was a really um, you know, we, we get off this snowcat trip, totally zend out, come back to the real world. And of course, how, why else would 2022 start out any other way than to be trolled by some guy for okay, our loser. The real world. Nice. You just, did you see how you just did that? You got yeah. back to the real world? The real world. I know. Yeah. Well, Never. and I'll have to say, I, I couldn't initially find his non, um, or his unsolicited uh, consultation work that he provided. Cause there were so many comments that were so joyous to read. They were so fun. They were like hysterical. Like I love, you know, all the great emojis, all the great, like way to nail it coalition. Love this um, marketing. You're effing brilliant. Like all the things, right. And the mm -hmm. kind of, you know, how do you put it really well on that Instagram? You're like, you zig, we zag. It's like, it's a constant um, interruption to the noise of what, all the companies are doing. And it's also just a departure from what is lazy and boring and doesn't really represent this full picture of, of women in the outdoors, women in the mountains, women on skis and snowboards. Um, yeah. I wonder if this, this person is going out to all other companies and offering up what they think they should see. Maybe, you know, I wonder. This actually, you know, this this, this person actually created an opportunity for me to reflect on what is it that we do at Coalition that gets women super pumped on skiing and snowboarding? What is it that we really do? Because Instagram, it's really just vanity, right? Like, it's just sort of like fun times, like, and, and while certainly like Instagram can be a catalyst for change, it, again, it's not the end all be all of anything. So of everything, sorry. So I was thinking about like, what are all the things that we do and what would actually constitute um, support, like getting women excited about skiing and snow snowboarding or getting them more involved in, in the sport. 
And so I came up with this list of things that we do, and I'm actually going to end up writing a blog about this. I'm going to put it in our newsletter, Lady Parts. But at Coalition, like just if you look at what we've done in the last like six months, we have our Indigenous Backcountry Scholarship where we give gear and $1,000 cash scholarships so that women and non-binary individuals can actually get uh, the, the airy uh, courses and the gear and everything they need to recreate in the backcountry. We do that. Uh, we're working with Elevated Locals, which is one of our ambassadors, Liz Toft, is taking the lead on this to actually create these stories around BIPOC skiers and snow, snowboarders. So that film series is getting ready to come out. We have our ambassador team, which is over 20 plus pe people. Uh, we released a pro model this year with our athlete, Jeannie. We um, also are in the, in the middle of working on a collaboration with Rebel Girls to create, um, to re-release re our youth ski and snowboard next year. Not to mention the Coalition Clubhouse, which is a virtual community, a meeting place for underrepresented genders to come together. And inside of that, we have Mountaintop, which is specifically for BIPOC. We have our backcountry beta event once a month that we partner with True Gear to provide this education for free. That's just what we've been doing the last six months. Yet, clearly, we're not doing enough to really get women pumped and really showcase women in the outdoors. And so I want to thank you, human uh and well, he actually defined himself as a man with a penis who doesn't know anything. You're right. <laughs> that is you. Uh, but thank you for the opportunity to actually go through and list all the things that we do. Because after I did that, I felt super proud about what we do at Coalition. And that we have an Instagram account that doesn't prioritize only people who are expert skiers and snowboarders, but actually showcases a, a wide variety of human beings and a wide variety of issues and passions and joys that we all experience. Shout out with coalition of breaking through the noise, but then also when we are like the skiing and snowboarding, there's such a fucking relief, like a relief and almost this shift in the pressure that go, yeah, find that log, um, ski that cliff, do that, but it doesn't, we don't have to take a photo of it. We don't have yeah, to well, that's, that's we're what I'm saying. Like, right? We're not going to go session this stuff necessarily and capture it on video. And like women also don't ask men, don't they, what I have seen is that women for so many different reasons, don't ask people to film them. And also the people who are filming tend to be men and they never encourage or invite women to be filmed. So there are a lot of reasons why it's actually difficult to capture that kind of footage and once again, like, yes, there's, we have, we have people on our team who do flips and, um, shred hard, like, do like, not to say there's, I'm not trying to say that there, the skill level doesn't exist. It's just a different way of engaging and existing within the sport and within the mountains. And it's not necessarily all about getting that perfect shot. There's so much more that goes into it. And what's important to me, you know, as, you know, chief decision maker who's maybe shouldn't have this job anymore, I don't know, um, <laughs> is like, I just want to represent so much more than just this really narrow sliver 
of um, women athletes who, who, who do ski and snowboard in that way. I want to have, I want to create something that's provocative and that gets you thinking about your body and your relationship to your body and, and your relate and like society's relationship to women's body. Like skiing and snowboarding requires our bodies. <laughs> it is our bodies. Like there, you can't dis. where's the disconnect? Like everything that we talk about with our bot, it's all about our, our bodies. And there's just so much more to it than, um, you know, just can you rip a sick line? The other thing that I will say, and this is, you know, this, you know, we can't, we don't know how, how we can't necessarily attribute this to this human being, but in general, fascinating how many men are very intimidated by our use of non-sexualized nipples. Mm. Like they're okay. Like when nipples are sexual, when women's nipples are sexualized, that's normal. But when we showcase nipples as either protest or joy or self-love, that makes men really uncomfortable. And I do feel like that may have been at play a little bit in this comment because the reel was about strap-ons. So there was a lot of jokes around strap-ons. It was around the actual like ski strap that we make with true gear. So we did a play on strap-on. Perhaps women being so open about their sexuality and their desires made this individual uncomfortable. Uh, but yeah, it is, you know, there's, if you, if you think there's no place for sex on Instagram, then, then perhaps, yes, you would very much dislike that, um, that reel, or if you think there shouldn't be any nudity at all. And I don't want to necessarily call you a prude because that feels mean, but also, I think, you know, nudity is natural. <laughs> and that's that really, I wish that could explain all the other uh, horrible um, experiences that we are currently in and that we have to look forward to in this next um, stage of our life. Why do we get this, Jen, and, and men just get to buy like a yellow Corvette and fucking move on? I don't know, because the world is unfair, as we know. But also maybe, I feel like maybe going through menopause um, and clearly perimenopause, which is what you and I are currently going through, uh, maybe there is like lessons to be learned about life that will make us more resilient. And that is something that men don't get. I mean, maybe there's some gifts in having to endure these things. But I don't know. Only time will tell. Uh, I'm going to give you like the gold award for fucking bullshit on that one. Look at that shit. Okay. That was like the hippiest shit that has ever come out of your mouth. You must be in a high like estrogen, progesterone, like happy place right now of no. your birthday. Because yes, of, forgive me because nothing against fucking hippies, but the point of being like, oh, this will be my great teacher of resilience and life. I don't know. I'm looking to survive this and I don't want to suffer in silence, but I really have a hard time when I'm like, okay, so now I'm looking at my long list of self-care I already do, like my wine and chocolate intake slash that's maybe has to change. 
slash now I have to watch all the things that are communicating with my brain and my gut health and all this. It just seems like more fucking work to keep myself in any sort of stable place. And I already feel like I'm working really fucking hard all day, every day. Well, let's think about this. Information's power. Um, you know, knowledge is power. And so if we're putting it out there right now that we are non-experts in this, we're more just like hashing this out. We're like girlfriends in our 40s being like, fuck, this is all on the horizon. It's, it's, <laughs> it's definitely been, I know there's dabbles on my end that I'm like, all right, Raymond, just get your shit together and just, you know, don't, how would I say, don't ignore it, but what can you do? So I feel like Opry Delight, there's a gift right there. If we have listeners that are like low sex drive, mm-hmm sex hurts. It's, I'm not getting mm-hmm. wet the same. That's a piece. Um, mm-hmm. I think you touch on meditation often. I don't meditate enough as, as, as I, uh, as often as I should. Thankfully my asana practice is really strong, but it's like the reducing of the stress. So here we are, mm-hmm. we're non-experts, but I think this is where we have the opportunity to give some gifts out there of how we're managing this. You're not alone. Talk about it. And I think the talking about it for me, that sense of community around just challenging what well, I don't even I think that's not that's not the right word. Not as common to talk about whether for us it was talking about vibrators, it's talking about um the patriarchy, talking about anything that would sometimes kind of have certain oh, we don't talk about that. That's the hush hush. It's like we can't hush hush about it. We need the empathy and the compassion in the community that people understand um what women are going through. And I think our partners well, deserve it too, because that for them, it helps them um, stay clear of the fucking dumpster fire that we might be spewing. <laughs> yeah, it, get, it gets hectic over here. Despite the challenges of brain fog, extra weight, hot flashes, gray hair, insomnia, dry pussy, insomnia, um, turning 40 is swings. fucking rad. I, I echo all of that. And I love, um, well, I love you, my friend, but the other piece is what you were just doing in terms of that kind of don't be afraid audience is I also think we need like mentors and friends within this so we can like see the beauty on the other side. Like, don't worry, you're going to kind of get through this or here was yeah. a great, um, you know, I think of some of the women in my life that are uh, really educated, they're naturopaths and they do amazing things with like hormone and diet. And it's like, there are resources and avenues to navigate this. So we just don't have to do it alone. And then I think it comes down to not having it be the, the suffering in silence and the hush And so, yes, for our younger, fabulous women, when we're half naked on the chairlift or in the skin tracks, we're having a hot flash and it's snowing and, you know, 32 degrees, just understand why, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Just give, have a little bit of empathy for us. Give us, you know, give us a bit of of grace. We we are your elders now. (laughs) (laughs) We're Um, done. We're done. I decided a long time ago that being a bitch was not a bad thing and that mm-hmm. I did not, I was not put on this planet to make other people happy. I was not put on this planet to like be nice to people. We've, we've had conversations here before about the difference between being kind and being nice, but like I'm, I'm not nice and I don't really see any reason to be nice. So in jet, am I, I'm a hundred percent a bitch and I kind of really own it and love it and um, don't have a problem with it and wanted to talk about that with you. Well, and, and for it's, 
you would you would think that at at this point, you know, that this conversation around um, the conversation around women in particular not having to show up and please everybody, and that and that you know we we need to really be able to advocate for ourselves, and it, it's okay to say no, and it's okay to state your demands, and it's okay mm-hmm. to to communicate and to communicate in the way that is comfortable for for you. You would think that by the year 2021 that we would have made a little bit more progress, but it's it's interesting because I I feel like I mean there's there's definitely groups of people who embrace strong women, but even that is bullshit. So you're if you're a bitch, you're strong. Well, mm. what if? See, here I am even falling into it. Why is bitchiness equated to being strong when? You can be strong in so many different ways, but also being, you know, being bitch, being a bitch also doesn't necessarily make you strong, but we put those two things together, right? Like society tells us that Mm -hmm. strong women, the way that we exist in the world is, is in, um, is as bitches. I mean, I definitely do. I'm just saying that I know not all women fall within that category that we're a little bit more complex of that. Like I know a number of very, very strong women who I actually don't think are bitches at mm-hmm. all. Like they're actually mm-hmm. like some of the like loveliest human beings. You're definitely a bitch, Jillian, but yes. that's why we get along so well. Yes. And I wouldn't expect anything less from you on any Thank given you. day. I mean, bitches are like really such a benign word. What do you think about the word cunt? How do you feel about it. cunt? Like, are, yeah. How, how do you like, if, what do you love about it? Um, I think what I love, well, part of what I love about it is the reaction you get from other people mm. when it's used. Um, I also think, I mean, I also like um, profanity a lot. I like using okay. it. I think there's value in it in conversation in our society. I don't, I guess what I would tell you I don't like it is if it's used in a way that would be, um, you know, derogatory. And I've actually had to do this with, um, talk about needing to like, I don't even know what boss bitch this is, teacher bitch. I've literally had to like unpack the word pussy and cunt with students as young as like eighth grade in terms of them calling other students pussy and cunt in a derogatory way and me literally yes this is where I went to be like you think pussy's a bad thing and then the kids are all like (gasps) and I'm like well think about it like let's put this in context you know to to young male students like and here I am being like am I literally having this conversation with an adolescent boy who could literally be like yeah this and this yes, is where the answer is boundaries. yes, you yes, are. Like actually, because I'm like, do you see how when you say that you make it something bad when it's actually something good that you potentially want? Again, this is why I'm like getting it's fired true. every other week. Sorry, not sorry, mature audiences only. But so I don't like it in any in any way where it's used. Um, but I do like, um, yeah, I like profanity. I love words that celebrate the vagina. Get vaccinated. Get a booster, wear a mask, don't be an asshole. Really think about what the words we and us and community mean. And Google white feminism. Google white feminism and go get fucked if you're pissed off by what we're saying right now. (laughs) 